Hi, welcome to Dancing Dog Blog. I'm Mary Haight, your host, and we have a great show for you today on canine arthritis, identification of pain, the current and cutting-edge treatments available, and readers' questions. But first, we have some news. We're pleased to announce that 4Knines.com, the people who make those high-quality, easy-to-clean, good-looking car seat covers for your dog, are sponsors of this podcast. If you're like me, you take your dog everywhere, whenever you can, and that can get really messy. Rain, muddy, wet paws, snow, dust, and debris works its way into the fibers of the seat, and it's one more thing to clean. Leather takes a beating, too. Save yourself and your car seats. Check out the great prices at 4Knines.com. That's number four, letter K, N-I-N-E-S. Dr. April Steele is back with us today to talk about arthritis in dogs, and she's asked Dr. Karen Fine, a 20-year veterinarian and certified expert in canine rehabilitation, to give us a look at available therapies you might not be familiar with. Karen has been working in the field of veterinary medicine for almost 20 years, half that time as a small animal veterinarian. Interests in physical therapy, exercise, and nutrition were part of her life as an internationally competitive gymnast, so much so that she obtained certification in physical rehabilitation work with athletes. Now, as a certified canine rehabilitation therapist, Dr. Fine uses her knowledge and skills to help our four-legged athletes and all dogs who need her services. It's great to have you back, Dr. April. Thanks for bringing Dr. Karen Fine in to speak with us today. Thanks, Mary. It's good to be back. Hi, Karen. Hi, Mary. Uh, it's nice to be uh, talking with you today. So we're going to talk about arthritis, something people share with their dogs. And they know some of the signs of pain. Dogs stop jumping up on the bed and their favorite chair, that kind of thing. Or they struggle to get up. And, and on bad days, they don't want to go for that walk. So could you talk a little bit, both of you, about the types of arthritis, uh, how to recognize symptoms that know, maybe are a little more subtle uh, so that people can catch the pain factor earlier. Mary, you mentioned a lot of really good signs that people can notice at home of when their dog might, or cat, or pet in general, might be in pain or experiencing arthritis. Um, I'd say the one thing I would add to that is the key word that I hear people say that triggers me to start thinking about pain is slow. Um, So if someone says, my pet is slowing down, I usually ask them to elaborate a little bit more about that if they mean they're slow getting up, slow getting down, because a lot of people think that slow just means their pet's getting older, whereas I think a lot of times it's an indication of, of pain and discomfort instead of just an aging change. Right. And, you know, it never ceases to amaze me how many people tell me, you know, my dog's limping, but he's not in pain. And it just, it, it doesn't make any sense. If a dog is limping or a cat is limping, they are almost always in pain, and they're very good at hiding their pain, but they have a very strong desire to use all four limbs. I mean, you wouldn't jump around on one leg if you didn't have a reason to do that. Um, so if if they're limping, please, please take that seriously. Um, the other part of your question, what types of arthritis are there? And I think there's kind of two major categories. There's acute, which is sudden onset. It, it uh, progresses very, very quickly. And we see that with things like infections in the joint, autoimmune diseases, things like that. And then we have the chronic degenerative joint disease, which is what most people associate with arthritis. And those are the chronic degenerative changes, such as inflammation and 
erosion of the cartilage and chronic pain. And actually, over time, there's an upregulation of the sensitivity to that pain. And so what might have initially been a small stimulus to pain becomes incredibly uncomfortable and painful for the animal. And to interlaborate on that just a little bit, the, uh, the chronic arthritis, usually the underlying causes of those are some sort of trauma, whether that's repetitive mild trauma or some sort of developmental abnormality like you know a lot of people have heard of hip dysplasia or elbow dysplasia those definitely can lead to arthritis what should people ask and tell their vets about their observations you know if you're if you're bringing your your beloved pet to to see the doctor mm-hmm. um a fair question is they're getting older even if they seem to be doing great at home to at least start the conversation um would be should I be concerned about my pet being in discomfort? Are there what are what are signs of pain that I can look for? Just to just open that that conversation. Right, right, right. Um, because I I would agree. A lot of times, as long as uh, you know, like like April was saying, lameness and limping and favoring a leg, a lot of times people don't associate with discomfort. Well, I think that when you come to your vet for your annual preventive care exam, you this is a time to talk about everything that you're concerned about with your pet. So if an if your pet is doing anything that's not typical for him or her, you need to tell your veterinarian about that. So if um, your animal seems to be slowing down, like Dr. Fine said, that's not normal. Slowing down usually means that there's either pain or lethargy or something causing that. The questions when it comes specifically to arthritis, though, are going to be things like, are they better after rest or are they better after exercise? Does it get worse with exercise? Do you ever feel a hot or swollen joint? Do they ever cry out? Do they ever lift one limb in particular? If so, are they holding it completely off the ground or are they just touching their toe or are they using it sometimes and not other times? Do you notice there's a problem with stairs? When your dog goes upstairs, do they use both of their back legs at the same time, um, which can indicate a hip issue, or are they separating those legs out and going up the stairs separately? Okay, then. um, What are some of the best conventional therapies that have the least harmful side effects? And I know it's particular to, to so many cases. Some animals are very sensitive to any medication, and others are fine. What makes me laugh about this question is, as I'm thinking about conventional therapies, I'm realizing that a lot of what used to be considered alternative is becoming more conventional. <laughs> so it's, it's it's a neat transition to watch happen. Um, I think that it's important to remember that with arthritis and in cats and dogs, just like in people, there are many things that affect that discomfort and that pain. And we try to improve the comfort in many different ways. So traditionally, non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs have been the foundation of treatment for arthritis. And, and it's they still are, really. Everything else kind of adds on to those as long as you have an animal that can safely take those drugs. So it's interesting. I'm just going to put this out there. All non-steroidals have the same level of reactions. They can affect the kidneys. They're metabolized by the liver. Um, so it's they're very, very, very 
very safe drugs if you use a, a, a non-steroidal that is approved for dogs. They're not very safe drugs in cats. There are a couple exceptions to that, but you have to be very, very careful and aware in cats. So in dogs, you know, things like Remedil and Deramax have gotten a pretty bad rap over the years because there's all these people that have had a bad, their pet has had a bad reaction. But the reality is millions of dogs are on these drugs and on these drugs safely and would not be alive or have a an acceptable quality of life if they weren't on these medications. So I really, really ask people to be aware of side effects, know what to look for, because in reality, with these non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs, most animals have signs that they're not tolerating these well before there's anything that's irreversible or serious that happens. So if your dog is taking Remedil and your dog starts vomiting and not eating, don't keep giving the Remedil. Stop the drug and call your veterinarian. Um, but for those millions and millions of dogs that do take it and are not having any reactions, um, those animals' lives wouldn't be the same without those medications. So be careful, you know, what you believe and make sure you ask your veterinarian good questions. I find it very important to monitor blood work when dogs are on non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs, and I recommend doing so every six months, just so you can pick up any issues before they become a, a irreversible issue. So I guess anti-inflammatories are traditional, conventional therapies. We also try to affect that pain pathway in many other ways. I mentioned earlier that there's something called we call it wind-up pain often, and what that means is that the um, the spinal cord is getting very sensitized to this chronic input of pain signals and becoming more and more reactive to those pain signals. So there are drugs that can actually mitigate that uh, wind-up. We can use gabapentin and amantadine to help with that. Um, and then we also often use tramadol, which is a drug that we don't completely understand how it works, but it really does um, create some pain relief in many dogs and it, that is safe in cats. Um, gabapentin and amantadine are also safe for use in cats. Um, what else? We use a lot of glucosamine but I'm going to let that go into alternative therapies. Mm-hmm. Um, Dr. Fine, do you have any other inputs for traditional? I'd say the biggest parts of traditional is, is medication um, and you've listed most of the ones that I can think about. Um, and at the uh, and this might be more alternative now, but I see more and more hospitals are carrying laser therapy. So I think that's becoming more mainstream. Um, I don't know if I'd consider it traditional yet, but I, I work at a number of different clinics, and um, I'd say more than half of them now have uh, cold laser that they're incorporating for pain, pain management, both acute and chronic. Let's just go into alternative therapies and the things that are crossing over now. I've entered the world of canine rehabilitation about a year and a half ago um, after doing a lot of training and getting certified in that. So we've learned about a lot of different modalities that can help with managing pain. I'd say the biggest, one of the biggest one that gets overlooked is um, just hands, (laughs) manual therapy uh, by a therapist. Um, It's very common in, in human medicine to see a physical therapist when you're uncomfortable and wanting some pain relief. But People with their pets, and I think people are looking for this themselves too, are looking for just a more of a quick fix, and, and physical therapy is more of a chronic commitment. So manual therapy would be one, and that includes you know things done by a trained physical therapist or veterinarian, in addition to things that you know you can be trained to taught how to do with your with your own pet, like massage. Um, that can be really beneficial. Just to kind of go through 
the list of other things that can be helpful. There's chiropractic adjustments, uh, therapeutic ultrasound, which is which is different than when you're getting an ultrasound to see the insides of of your abdomen. It's it's uh, deliver. It's a different type of ultrasound. Mm-hmm. The pulsed electromagnetic field therapy, uh, Reiki acupuncture. And then there's also different medications that are considered more alternative, like Chinese medicine, homeopathy, um, and then April briefly touched on you know some of the nutraceuticals like glucosamine and chondroitin sulfate. Those those are all we, we can attack pain from many different angles. So, and and the big one that I haven't none, neither of us has, have mentioned yet is uh, weight management. Uh, any excess fatty tissue that a pet has can. Actually, it releases inflammatory cytokines and exacerbates pain from from chronic conditions like arthritis. So the the first thing that we you know that you would want to do is make sure that your pet's at a healthy weight, and your your vet can help you with that for sure. Yeah, uh, weight management cannot be overemphasized. I think that it's amazing how much better pets do when they're at a healthy weight. One thing about the glucosamine is there's debate about whether oral glucosamine supplements really do a very good job. And I think in some of my patients, I see it really does make a positive difference. Um, The theory is that those molecules are so big and the body has to break them down to absorb them and do they really get put back together and sent to the joints. And there's an injectable form called Adequan, and that can be very, very helpful because we know that the animal's getting that whole molecule and it can go where it needs to go. Could you give us a couple of examples of uh, clients you've had where you've seen conventional perhaps uh, not be working so well and they go out and try some of the newer types of therapies? I, a lot of uh, a lot of clients that come to me, and, and I'll give you a couple of specific examples, but a lot of clients that come to me are, are those with pets with multiple issues. Uh, so, for example, I saw um, an eight-year-old's sweet little lab um, named Amelie who had really, really severe arthritis in her spine and in her elbows. Um, and arthritis kind of has this snowball effect where when you're uncomfortable, you don't you're you don't want to move, so you don't move, and then your muscles and your ligaments and tendons atrophy. And then that atrophy of the support structures leads to joint instability, which actually worsens arthritis and causes pain. And then you don't want to move. And so it goes on and on and on. Mm -hmm. So a lot of times just pain medication doesn't reverse that process. So when Amelie came to me, she she had gotten to the point where she could walk maybe half of a block um, before she would just lay down and refuse to go anymore. So we started to reverse that process by giving her some exercises to do at home and uh, having some manual therapy or joint mobilization. And by getting her moving and increasing her range of motion, that also helps to relieve pain. And when you're you're not as painful, then you want to move more. Um, and when you move more, you can build muscle. And so over the course of, she had some very de- dedicated owners. And over the course of, I'd say, a few months, she went from not being able to walk even a block, um, and she couldn't walk on slippery surfaces, to being able to hike a mile or two with, with her family. For a, for a sweet little dog like that with so many different joints involved uh, and really tight muscles from not moving around, an anti-inflammatory isn't going gonna, isn't gonna to just be her cure. She still did need to be on medication in addition to the other therapies that we did, but it's, it's amazing to me to see how far these, these pets can go in getting quality of life back. It's, you must have read my mind because I was thinking, you have a dog that uh, 
has a problem like this and they don't want to go for that walk, uh, people tend not to ask them to walk anyway, yep. you know, as, as far as they can, uh, because they think that they're stopping them from having pain. But actually, that's not the case. It's, you know, it's a very difficult line to walk. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I think it's definitely worth having the conversation you know, if, if you've noticed that you're shortening walks, uh, to, to talk to your vet about that. Yeah. Um, because if, if I could pick one thing to give people with uh, a, an arthritic pet to do, it would be regular, mild exercise. Uh, meaning just taking them for, if, if you have 20 minutes to walk your pet, break that down into three or four or five minute walks instead of going for 20 or 30 minutes. Because um, that, that consistent, low impact exercise like walking or swimming is is the best thing to keep moving and comfortable. I think keeping really good muscle support and good muscle tone by having regular exercise can be one of the best things you can do to help slow the progression of arthritis would be keeping your muscles in in good shape um, so that they're supporting the joints. And another thing about that is we, uh, as veterinarians and especially as pet owners, wait way too long to treat arthritis. And if we can get it earlier, we keep them moving, we keep their muscle tone, we keep their, hopefully their cartilage healthy, and these guys can live such a better, happier life if we intervene earlier rather than at end stage. Yes, I was wondering, how does food impact this? Oh, boy. (laughs) I love nutrition. (laughs) We could talk like an hour. Food definitely can impact all of this. Um, there's, there's so many different foods out there and so many different thoughts about what to feed and how to feed. I'd say the two most important things to consider with feeding your uh, pet is making sure they're getting enough protein and making sure that you're feeding them an appropriate amount. And, and that's just determined not by the bag, but it's determined by how your pet looks. So, you know, your dogs, our dogs and cats should have a nice waist. Uh, they should have a little bit of an hourglass figure instead of, you know, looking more, I, I like to say, you know, they shouldn't be straight like a, a sausage <laughs> or bulging like a table. So if, uh, and, it, and it's really, really hard because even on TV, uh, dogs in like Westminster Dog Show, a lot of breeds are shown in a state that's that's not a healthy weight. And... For example, Purina, a number of years ago, did a study where they kept dogs at what we then considered to be a healthy weight, and then they restricted caloric intake to their counterparts. And we found that the the lean, the leaner pets uh, actually lived an average of, I want to say, two years longer, which is yep. huge when you only live, you know, 10 to 13 years. They had delayed onset of arthritis, a fewer percentage of them had arthritis, so their quality of life was improved. So we actually, five or ten years ago, revised what we consider to be a healthy weight for, for our pets, and, and it's made a, a huge impact in, in the quality and longevity of, of a pet's life. Uh, one thing that we didn't mention for um, alternative therapies, although it, it somewhat fits in with nutrition, is uh, fish oils. Um, th- those can be beneficial as well for, for a number of different things, including arthritis. But, you know, kidney health, heart health, brain health, all the good stuff that it does in people, it can do for our pets. There's another part of prevention, actually, that, that I wanted to talk about, and it's, um, it's as pets are developing. Because if there's too much trauma um, as you're growing, uh, you can damage your cartilage, and that sets up 
the joint that's been damaged for for arthritis later on. So um, kind of a good rule of thumb, and, and this the recommendations go all over the board uh, for, for puppies, but a good rule of thumb is, is if your puppy is wanting to do something and they're initiating the activity, that it's probably okay. Um, but to avoid doing really high-impact things like agility or you know running 5 or 10 miles or hiking 14ers with, with your puppy. Um, kittens aren't usually forced to uh, <laughs> to go on. But on the dog side of things, people, especially here in Colorado, and I'm not sure you know in your neck of the woods how it is, but people are so excited to get their dogs out uh, and, and, and enjoy the outdoors with them. Mm-hmm. Um, so you just you have to be careful. If they are going to do something strenuous like agility, uh, they should uh, tell their vet before they do it. Definitely. And, and on the flip side of that, um, some people, you know, some breeders will, will say to, to like a Great Dane owner, oh, don't yeah. take your dog on a walk or don't let them. I, I've mm-hmm. heard breeders say don't let your pet do stairs um, until they're two, which uh, <laughs> is, is a little extreme, but just to give you an idea of what's out there. Um, and, and that kind of counters this flip side of what we're really trying to do is is set up for a lifetime of healthy of a healthy weight mm-hmm. um, and exercise certainly is a is a crucial component to that so so it's, it's all about a, a nice a balance you know there's one other thing with prevention that i think we need to mention and that goes way back so if you're not getting a shelter dog which i think you should get a shelter dog and you are buying a dog from a breeder really Make sure that the dogs that bred the dog you're buying have had their hips certified, um, depending on the breed, their elbows or their shoulders. It's not a 100% guarantee that your puppy will not have any problems, but it's the best we can do, and it can make a big difference. And it can help ensure that people are uh, uh, getting their uh, breed dogs from an appropriate breeder. Exactly. Yeah. OFA certification is a important. A good breeder. Uh, we have some questions now from listeners. First, from Mary Hone, writer and photographer at TalesFromTheBackRoad.com. Her dog, uh, Roxy, is 10 years old and was doing well until last night. She's in horrid pain again. Uh, She has a degenerative disc in her back. Otherwise, her health is fine. Mostly, she does well, but sometimes uh, pain flares up. She carries her left front leg, punches her back, and is in lots of pain. So if she's hunching when standing or walking, um, she, she gives her a tiny dose of Rimadyl in the morning and it's kept her pain-free until recently she woke woke her up the other night crying so it's hard to speak specifically because we haven't examined roxy but poor roxy i I really feel sorry for her and the fact that rimadil is has made such a positive impact on a disc is pretty amazing there is a common condition where the intervertebral disc actually pushes on the spinal cord and the dorsal nerve roots get affected in the spine it causes what's called a root signature and a root signature causes the dog to, to actually lift their left front leg so it's actually pain um, radiating from the spine that's doing that it's not actually an injury of the leg in most cases um, when, when we know that there's a, a degenerative disc the problem with Roxy, and, and I'm Karen Fine, please jump in, but um, 
the the problem with Roxy is that she's got a disc that's probably pushing on her spinal cord. So this is more than just arthritis. This is um, has a potential to cause a significant neurologic change and some real ongoing pain. We have guidelines for when we treat these guys medically and when we treat them surgically. And the guidelines for when we have to intervene surgically are changing. But traditionally, they have been if we have loss of deep pain in the limbs, back legs usually, um, or if we have uncontrolled controllable pain and so Roxy's on one small dose of one drug I think there's a lot more that can be done to keep her comfortable long term but keep in mind there are times when surgery is a better answer than medication and we have to just be aware of that having said that there have been more there has been more and more success with alternative treatments for intervertebral disc disease I'll let Dr. Fine comment on that. Uh, so I actually saw a lot of, of pets very similar to Roxy um, in that they, that they would have back pain. I, I spent a few months working right next door to, neuro, to a neurologist. Um, so I saw some that had had surgery, some that didn't have surgery. And I, I would agree with, with what April was saying. You know, if, if there's recurrent pain and we know it's from a disc, that disc is pressing on the spinal cord. So sometimes the best way to to take care of that is surgery so that you remove that disc so that it's not pressing on the spinal cord and that will alleviate the pain. Surgery is not without, you know, potential risks, especially in an older pet. A lot of people would prefer to try non-surgical treatment, even if surgery is recommended. Um, so, you know, things like laser therapy, uh, manual therapy, mild, and I'll say therapeutic exercises in the sense, not that you're going to go and work your dog out, but having a rehab therapist to actually prescribe a home exercise program for you, things like similar to people when you get uh, back pain, and I'll say that, you know, that can extend to include the neck, your core helps to protect your back. So a lot of times core strengthening can help protect the spine um, and avoiding certain activities that, that exacerbate that, like especially jumping down from high places. I can't tell you how many times, you know, uh, little dogs will jump down from their owner's bed and it's like three or four feet high. And, you know, I can't imagine myself jumping down from something that's that's like three or four times my own height. <laughs> so if, if you already have a, an area where you're, you have a disc that potentially is, is loose and pushing on your spinal cord, modifying the environment that your pet's in can be helpful. And again, making sure there's not extra weight that's, that's really exacerbating the stresses that your, that your back has to undergo. But, but sometimes even in spite of all of those things, uh, my own dog actually, who I was doing diligent physical therapy on, had a disc that compressed on her spinal cord and, and the compression was too severe and she was so painful that, you know, surgery really was the only the only option for her. Yeah, so people can try to add other drugs uh, to the Rimadol that are combinations that work with that? Right. Um, we often use Tramadol. We often actually use a muscle relaxant. Um, there's definitely, depending on what we're seeing as, a, as secondary to that disc, there are things we can do. And acupuncture can be a helpful thing as well. Yeah, acupuncture can be fantastic. Acupuncture and massage. Yeah, is there a, a listing for canine mas- massage therapists that are certified? <laughs> no. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, it, it's funny because it's state by state. And mm-hmm. in Colorado, there is a, um, a, a a law that they have to have certain certain certifications to, to do that work. Mm-hmm. Not that everyone has those certifications. But um, in Colorado, the Colorado Valley Medical Association does have that type of database. I I don't know what it's like in Illinois or other states. Mm-hmm. So check with your state board of veterinary medicine. And, and there is there is a certification for, for massage therapy in, in pets. Um, so 
So it is something worth looking into for sure. Because there are a lot of just human massage therapists that will work on pets, but mm-hmm. um, but there is an actual certification. The reality is that pets are very, I mean, they walk on four legs. They're very, very different for pe- from people. So having that extra training in their anatomy and, and, and their mechanics is incredibly important. We have another question from Jennifer Zivchek-Costello, owner and writer at MyBrownNewfies.com. She would love to know your opinions on targeted pulse electromagnetic therapy, the long-term effects as well as the short-term. So I can't say it, nor do I have an opinion, though, Dr. Fung. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I, I think I should take this one because <laughs> um, I, I have some experience with it. Um, so there's there's a few different ways of delivering targeted pulsed electro- electromagnetic therapy, and, and I'm going to call it uh, PEMP for short, which is a pulsed electromagnetic field therapy. The, the one thing that I will caution about is um, it does increase blood flow, which if there's any potential for cancer anywhere in the body, um, I would stay away from it. And a lot of times we don't know that in our older pets. So if you haven't done any diagnostics, I, I wouldn't just buy something to deliver PEMF uh, without knowing for sure that we don't have to worry about cancer because it, it will get worse. Mm-hmm. Um, that aside, PEMF is it's used for a few different things, um, but I'd say it works better for acute pain than chronic pain. Um because it, it really helps with pain and edema. Uh, the other thing that can, it, it can be helpful for is non-healing chronic wounds. Um, in, in humans, I think they've actually used this for non-healing fractures as well as chronic wounds. That's the one caveat to the chronic versus acute. And there's a bed that you can be- get for dogs. It's fairly expensive uh, that delivers this. And, and you can change. I actually was playing with it the last time that I was sitting on this thing. It, it changes the frequency and I would close my eyes and, and press the button numerous times so that I'd lose track of which one I was on and see if I could guess which frequency it was on. And you can actually, you can feel it. So th- there is something there. But you can also get it as a, as a loop, which is a lot less expensive. And this, and this loop delivers it within kind of like a football-shaped field of, of therapy, um, uh, like a treatment area. You know, I, I think it's something that's, that's worth trying if, if you know what it is that you're treating. But for, for general arthritis, I'd say it's kind of mixed as to whether or not it's helpful. If you have a muscle strain or, you know, like the dog equivalent of a sprained ankle um, or an ACL tear, something like that, in the acute period, it can really help to decrease pain and inflammation. And as far as effects, I, most of the effects are short term. I wouldn't say there's any like long term effect on the body. And this from Leslie Aliot in Massachusetts. We've been using alternative modalities with Bella since last spring. And I have to say, where conventional medicine left us helpless and her in pain, these alternatives have given me a new dog. She's on medication for what was labeled behavioral issues, but since they're pain-based, I think half of her problems have been related to chronic pain. What about chiropractic care, low-level laser treatment, and or Reiki? Those are treatments that seem to have worked for Bella. Pharmaceutically, we're using a combination of gabapentin and amantadine. Um, first of all, to Leslie, I'd say kudos for seeking out those alternative therapies. It's not, you know, they're not very common to find, especially mm-hmm. things like Reiki. Um, and, and, you know, there's so many different modalities out there. It, it's, you know, kind of like with people. Some things work better for some than others. And it's it usually is kind of there's a buffet and you just need to kind of figure out what combination works best for your pet. There is a lot with energy work that's available. You know, there's a lot of people that will do energy work with pets. I'm, I'm not as familiar with that myself. Chiropractic care and low-level les- low laser therapy, um, along with acupuncture, I think those are more, uh, there's more science behind those and, and how they work. But, you know, I, I, I think it's great that, that 
so many different things, especially, you know, there's medic, you'll notice that, you know, Leslie's also using medication with her dog. So it's a, it's a great example of how conventional and alternative therapies can, can really help each other. It's a synergistic effect. That's when you incorporate all these different things, you can need less of each individual one. I think Leslie makes a good point as well that um, a lot of times we are treating behavioral issues when there's actually a pain issue involved. And interestingly, she's using gabapentin, which I feel helps with pain, but it also decreases epinephrine responses. So if there's a pain behavioral connection, it can be a very useful drug. Okay. Is there anything you think we didn't cover? Uh, hydrotherapy. Yeah. Uh, so swimming and underwater treadmills are a lot of times part of physical therapy and rehab therapy. Um, and there's they, they can be fantastic in the right hands, and I have seen them cause problems in the wrong hands. So, uh, for example, it's extremely common to use underwater treadmills in rehabbing a cruciate injuries. So your, your dog has torn their ACL mm-hmm. and they either have or haven't had surgery. Um, but let's, let's say, you know, for the sake of argument, you've decided to pursue surgery because, you know, I do think that's, that's one of the quickest ways to a, a good recovery. And now you're using the underwater treadmill. One thing that I've seen, so the treadmill is excellent for pets when we want to exercise them and get more emotion and they can't really take the impact of their their full weight because it, it will decrease the weight load obviously if they're they're in the water depending on the level that the water's at mm-hmm. um and it increases range of motion at specific joints depending on again the level of the water but it also increases resistance so you know a really common thing with a cruciate injury is to have a really sore hip flexor and now you're in in water and every time you're moving your leg forward you're really straining that hip flexor so you can exacerbate muscle strains if you're using underwater treadmill and you're not quite ready for it or if you're using it too much so i know there are you know there's some places that have underwater treadmills that are for exercise and for healthy active dogs i think they're fantastic I would just be careful about using um, an underwater treadmill or even swimming if there's an injury or lameness or pain, uh, back pain especially, without being under this, you know, directly supervised by a rehab therapist. Good point about the water levels too. Yeah, yeah. If, um, because if you use the wrong level of water in the tank, you could really create another problem. Absolutely, yeah. If you're trying to treat an ankle injury, for example, and you're trying to get better range of motion at your ankle, um, and you have the water anywhere higher than your ankle, now you're increasing your range of motion at your knee or your hip instead of your ankle. So, um, yeah, it, it can be it, it can be a fantastic modality. I really love underwater treadmill, but, um, but you just have to, you know, like with anything else, you have to be smart. If you could just talk a little bit about what the laser therapy is used for and um, and often with other drugs. Um, so, so laser therapy is, is great for both acute and chronic pain. Um, it actually stimulates on the level of the, on a cellular level, it makes the mitochondria produce more ATP. And there's a number of, I won't get into too much detail, but let's just say it decreases inflammation and it decreases um, the pain nociception, so basically the signal from that area sending pain to the brain. So it, you're not receiving perceiving as much pain. So it's it's a great adjunct to, you know, anytime a pet needs uh, a pain medication, um, laser therapy can be a really good adjunct to that. And, and initially, you'll want to do, depending on the laser, some some laser manufacturers recommend multiple treatments in a 
in a given day the first time you're seeing something. Sometimes it's a couple times a week. So there's a number of different protocols out there, but it has been shown to help for a number of different conditions like muscle strains, arthritis, uh, fractures. Um, and, and I'll say that ultrasound actually gives a lot of similar benefits um, but can't be used for all of the same things. For example, it, it's going to really hurt if you use that on a fracture. Mm-hmm. So um, so they, they, they can complement each other, but, but that's a really good question since a lot of places are carrying laser. It's mm-hmm. definitely worth, worth asking about if, you, you know, if you're talking about pain medication, it yeah. should kind of flow right in to at least have a conversation about laser. And Karen, can you comment on the fact that laser isn't just a one-time thing? I'd say, it, you know, in general, if you're thinking about doing laser therapy, you want to commit to at least um, at least a couple weeks of, of a trial. Uh, if you're, you know, if your dog is or cat has an injury, and you say, you know, it, we just we're doing a dose of pain medication today. Let's do a dose of laser. It's not going to necessarily hurt anything, but it's probably not going to help too much um, unless it's one of these lasers that where they're doing multiple treatments in a given day. But again, that's multiple treatments. So it, it does have more of a cumulative effect. In some conditions, you'll, it'll actually make things a little bit worse before they're better. So I think, you know, at least a two-week time frame. Um, some conditions it's a little bit longer, but at least committing to a two-week time frame of, of trying laser is is worthwhile. And we had a question fall off the map here uh, from Don Micklick, owner, editor at PetProductReview.net, uh, who asked about uh, treatments for cats because they, there's so many medications that they can't take. What what can be done for cats these days? Pick me, pick me. So, um, <laughs> so it's not only that they're difficult to treat, but they're so difficult to detect pain. Um, they hide it so well. And, you know, a dog has a 25% de- percent decrease in how much they can walk in a day. How do you know if a cat has that? Um, so for me, assessing pain in cats is the first challenge. And my favorite way to do that is if we have an older animal or an animal that I feel on physical exam has some discomfort, or especially if the owners have noticed decreased jumping or increased sleeping, I like to do a trial with some pain management and see if they're different. It is amazing how many people say, my cat's not in pain, and then we treat them with pain medication, and they're like, oh, my goodness, my cat is a new cat. So I think that's, to me, that's my favorite way to assess pain before it gets intense. Um, There are quite a few drugs we can use in cats. Some of them that are fantastic are hard to get cats to take. Tramadol is a great drug for cats, kind of bitter, so you have to get good at giving it. Pill pockets can help with that. Gabapentin works well in cats. As I mentioned earlier, there are some newer non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs that cats tolerate quite well, just need to monitor their kidney function. They do great with the adequate injections for the glucosamine to the joints. And Karen, what else do you have to add to that? I I found cats actually respond. I've been impressed with how well they respond to things like uh, dry needling um, and manual therapy. And um, and you can actually get cats to do exercises at home, too. And, and you know, a lot of times they uh, heat, heat can be really helpful. Can you explain what dry needling is? Dry needling is um, you, you use acupuncture needles, um, but the so you're putting the same needles in you know into the skin, mm-hmm. um, but it's it's a different theory than acupuncture. So acupuncture is more about the meridians and Chinese medicine and and your chi and you know all of that mm-hmm. stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, dry needling is more if there's a trigger point. So if you have a really tight knot, you know a lot of people get knots in, in their shoulders or traps from typing. So you can feel, you could probably reach up right now and feel your, your neck and find a knot. 
So dry needling is actually putting a needle in the middle of that knot, and it will increase blood flow to that area and actually relax the muscle. So a lot of times, you know, if uh, cats aren't moving, like people and dogs, they get muscle tightness secondary to that. And if they won't tolerate, like, a deep tissue massage, a lot of times they, they don't mind having a needle put in that area, and it provides amazing pain relief. I've, I've been really impressed with that, especially cats with low back pain, which a lot of times does go undiagnosed because, you know, p- people think it's, it's normal for their cat to just be sleeping all day when they didn't used to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's usually just because they don't want to that's where they're most comfortable. Uh, they don't want to move around because it's, it's, not, it's not fun if it hurts. So, you know, I've, I've seen a combination of dry needling and, and rehab really get cat, cats jumping up on the bed to hang out with their owners again. Uh, all of the things that we use in dogs, uh, aside from, you know, a couple of the anti-inflammatory medications really do have, and, and their ability to, to take medication, <laughs> but all of the other alternative <laughs> therapies uh, work, work can work in, in certain cats. Yeah, cats are funny. They're, they're bosses of their own lives. Thank you very much. They certainly are. We'll take a quick break here to say thanks to our sponsors, 4K9s.com, for sending car seat covers over for testing. I saw the installs in less than one minute claim and thought, have they met me? I was so surprised when it turned out to be true. They fit well and look really great. 4K9s offers a lifetime warranty. If a cover fails with a 4.75 out of 5 star rating from 1,000 reviews at Amazon, you can be sure of excellent customer service. And there's a special coupon for listeners. You'll get an additional 10% off even on sale prices when you use the code CAFE number 4, letter K, number 9, letter S. And Here's something we really love. With every purchase, $1 goes to the ASPCA and other rescues. Visit 4K9s.com. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Fine, and thank you so much, uh, Dr. April Steele. Now, uh, Karen, could you give people your contact information? www.rockymountainvetrehab.com. Hey, do you have a, uh, an email? Um, sure. The email would be info at rockymountainvetrehab.com. And I'm happy to answer you know any questions. And there's some good resources that I have access to for finding therapists in other parts of the country. If you have trouble finding that, feel free to reach out. And Dr. April Steele, thank you so much for introducing us to Dr. Karen Fine. Oh, it's my pleasure. Yeah. Yeah, and thanks for having me. I, I've really, really enjoyed this time with you guys. Thank you. And to the audience, thanks for listening.